This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Welcome to First Contact, stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. All right, hey everybody, welcome back to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Super excited for this next episode, only because uh, it's part of a background that I've had for a long time in my my life. But here's the interesting thing: is we're going to be diving into the world of business to business sales. Now, before some of you tune out and say, "Hey, you know, sales isn't my background, or that's not really my focus. I'm in operations or anything like that," I want you to just look at it from clear eyes and say, "Today, we're going to welcome." a sales expert who really helps businesses in business-to-business technology, and how do they perfect the sales team go-to-market strategy? So we've brought on Jeremy Chen, super excited to have him here. And so let's dive in a little bit deeper into his background, right? So for over a decade, he's had his business in Jeremy Chen sales into business development, customer retention, being able to go into technology companies and just add bottom line revenue but doing so in a stress-free prospecting method that really transforms your sales strategy. Now, one of the other things that's important here is the reliance on cold calls and having it as a primary way of getting new business. He even built a 100-plus seat call center to be able to continue to drive this strategy. So with this as his background and really most importantly also being driven by business development, we want to be able to go in and say, how does this impact your business and how does it give you a better future? And especially if you do business via the phone, how can you drive that? So, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Stoked to have you on. Thank you so much, Christian. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, look, we don't really bring very many sales experts onto the show. And what a lot of people don't really understand, or if they do, that it doesn't hit home. Sales really can solve a lot of problems in a business. It really can solve issues that happen in that company that today you may not realize sales can actually solve. So with that said, from your perspective, before we get to your story, why is sales so important to a business? Well, I've always told business owners, I said, look, I've never seen a problem that couldn't be solved with more sales. Um, in fact, if you go up to any business owner today and say, I have a referral, see how many times they will turn you down. I can bet it'll probably be zero, right? Um, sales is the lifeblood of a company, okay? Without sales, I don't think you have a company. And in that respect, it is important to understand how to get your sales, what channel to get them from, and just hone in on it. So sales is everything about, you know, what encompasses a company. I don't think you have one without it. Absolutely. And so with that said, you know, we definitely in the show want to talk about people's stories. And so let's talk about your story. Let's walk through your journey of how did you get into the industry? How did you get into sales? And then obviously, how did you get to where you are today? For sure. Um, you know, it starts in university. Um, I had gone through the uh, undergraduate program, didn't really know what I wanted to be. And then I always had a creative side to me. Um, and, uh, I said, I'm going to be an architect. And so the school I was going to only admitted, like, I think it was 100 or 110 
students into their architecture program per year. Okay. Meant if you didn't make it, you'd have to wait in limbo or find something else to do for that year um, until you got accepted. So I want to tell you, I applied, I got in, my whole family is excited. I go to um, the, they have like a welcoming conference to welcome all the new um, students into the faculty. We're sitting in this big bowl shaped um, auditorium. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dean walks out onto the podium and starts talking. And somewhere in his speech, he goes, so for the next seven to eight years, and that's about all I heard. I poked the guy next to me, gave him a little elbow on the side, and I said, did that guy just say seven to eight years? He goes, yeah, it's seven to eight years to be an architect. I said, I'll be right back. I voluntarily withdrew the next 30 minutes later. <laughs> wow. Um, and what does every dropout do? they drop into sales, right? You go buy a briefcase and a nice suit and all of a sudden you're a salesperson, right? So I have a mentor, a very dear friend of mine, Doug Buss, um, and I still talk to him, you know, every week to this day, all these years later. And um, he had uh, he had recommended that I got into insurance sales. Um, so I went to a company by the name of Sun Life, um, I just wasn't a good fit at that time. I was like 19 or 20. Um, you know, I had next to no money and they didn't really pay you a base. They wanted you to go talk to all your friends and family and get started that way. I had no idea of like what prospecting or business development even meant. So I ended up working for a POS company. Um, did okay there. No, nothing fantastic or to write home about. Um, I then left there, got into telco by accident. That's a hilarious story. Um, left telco, started AnswerPhone, which is, uh, you know, our virtual answering service, um, and then got into consulting. So that's that's my story. So let's talk about that consulting. So Jeremy Chen Sales, how did that come about? How did you say, hey, I want to start a business? And where did that journey go from just an idea into actually becoming something that you've now been running for some time? Yeah, um, man, you know, I used to prospect for so many things, um, and I really had a knack for prospecting. When I got to the telco company, they essentially threw the the yellow book at you uh, and said, use this and call businesses and get appointments, and that's basically all they told us. Um, And we had to develop a process because there was none, first of all. And second of all, if we didn't have a process, we didn't know what worked, what didn't work, right? So I always called that telco company by the name, it's TELUS, um, where I went to finishing school to really develop my business development skills. And every time I made a prospecting call, um, well, I wouldn't say every time, but inevitably, you know, once or twice a day, somebody would come to me and say, can you send me your script? Because I've got like, a floor full of salespeople and they don't do anything remotely close to what you do. Um, or could you come down and train some of my guys to do some of this? Cause I, I, I just get lousy sales calls from people that aren't even in Canada or in the U S and this is miserable. So that's really where it started. I never took it seriously until after I had sold the answer phone and then people kept coming to me and saying, Hey, you're that business development guy. Um, 
can you help mm-hmm. us with prospecting? And so then I turned it into sort of a service and that's how I got into it. Well, you know, if you do something well enough that other people want to copy it, right, or they want to know how to copy it, especially, then I think it's a hint to say that you are on to something. Now, what we usually talk about in sales and we talk about the people, right, are very important in the process of how do you go about making change. We also, I think, forget to talk about sales management and its role in the organization. Right. Where where does it add value or does it have importance? So can you give some insight into from your perspective, where does sales management fall into your success or failure? Well, sales management, um, traditionally, when you go into an organization of any size, I would say 20 or plus in headcount, um, it's typically a reporting role. Right. So they're looking at metrics like how many calls can somebody make per hour? How many connects are they making? Um, You know, how many booked appointments are there in the calendar? That kind of thing. Right. My approach to sales management has always been a hands on approach, meaning if I'm asking a rep to do something, it's because I personally would do it if I was in their shoes. I would never ask somebody to do something I personally wouldn't do or I'm not comfortable with, okay? And I think that's what's missing and the key ingredient of, of sales management, right? Because you have so many people that are just follow the script, you know, repeat the process. If the process is broken, it's the person and then the person needs to get fired or they need the attrition or whatever, right? They never look at, oh, it might be management not being able to provide solid feedback so this this person can get better and that's the challenge so part of our service um has always been going in you know looking at reporting and saying okay we have some data on how many calls this person's made but what are they actually saying on the phone where does the call fall apart i think that's a key differentiator that not a lot of sales managers and companies are, are doing today unfortunately yeah i think a lot of times the other thing that i see commonly is People get promoted because they're really good at doing something. Let's say you're a top salesperson and they want to make you into a sales manager. And I'm not saying that's a good or bad idea more than it is. Are they the right person for the role? And sometimes we look at sales management as just if you can perform well, then you're also good at teaching other people how to do that well. Where do you see that being something that is that common in the business that you're constantly seeing? Or is there something there where you're able to dive in further and say, hey, you know, there's a better approach to this. Yeah, I I think to your point, like a lot of people mistake sales, not sales manager, right? Um, Some people just aren't built to manage people or train people. And that's perfectly okay. Um, Because you've, you've got to realize that, you know, just because I'm good at whatever, you know, if you look at Michael Jordan and basketball, it doesn't mean that I can go pick up a basketball and play like Michael Jordan did. It took years of experience, right? So the number one thing I would say to a business owner primarily is, you know, if you have a good um, sales rep, see what you can extract out of their process and make it uniform across your team, right? Don't take the person that is producing and put them in a role that is completely new to them and put new expectations on them because typically they'll fail. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it also, uh, it's never good for your sales when your top <laughs> performer ends up now not being focused on performing in production. Um, 
So finding that alternative person or group that they can replicate is important. So let's kind of shift a little bit and let's talk a little bit about telemarketing, right? Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that we talk about in today's world is, you know, what actually makes effective telemarketing, right? Give us some insight from your perspective as where can you actually be successful in that today, if at all? I think it's successful everywhere. Um, with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, and now this looming recession or whatever they say that's going on in the marketplace, I get more excited about making cold calls because inevitably what happens is, um, you know, inexperienced salespeople go, I'm not going to make the call today. You know, uh, Christian's not in his office and I'm just not going to get him on the phone. Whereas me, I make even more calls. There's just less noise and competition to have to deal with, right? I think to answer your question, making the call is the most important part right now. And 100% of the people that I speak to, just they're not hitting volumes for whatever reason, right? They've given it up. They've switched into LinkedIn or email marketing or whatever new and exciting software of a service product there is out there. And I'm still telling people, hey, listen, the phone works and it's just as effective as it is today if you use it properly as it was 10 years ago. So. Well, when we talk about, you know, sales over the phone, right? And you're saying the most important thing is making the call, right? You'd have to sit back and go, okay, um, there are these other channels. There are these other means of communicating. And I would say that prospecting for the sales position, um, cold calls, any of the uh, breakdown of being able to be at the very top first stage of connecting with people is usually the hardest thing in the sense of, people that really can't embrace the suck, right? The part where it's just like, you're not going to get connects. People aren't going to answer the phone. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to have moments where people aren't going to be happy that you called them. What can you say is a couple things that the mindset and preparation one would have to do to have a successful cold call? You know, um, I'm very, very familiar with the Sandler selling process. And for those who haven't heard it, it's akin to Dale Carnegie. And one of the things um, that Sandler talks about that I found extremely valuable was um, the differentiation between who you are as a person and who you are in your role as a sales leader, as a sales rep, whatever. Um, Because you're going to get hung up on. You're not going to connect to everybody you call. Uh, the receptionist is going to be rude because she's having a bad day. Um, you know, whatever else you're going to encounter on the phone. And I think that a lot of the issues that people have is that they internalize this. And then they start saying to themselves, well, I'm a bad person. I suck at a sales role. This company is not supporting me. I have to go find something else to sell, right? Whereas the experienced salesperson that can differentiate their role and their identity will say, hey, listen, just because I had a bad day doesn't mean I'm a bad salesperson. And then they're able to come and perform tomorrow, right? And I think that's one of the key differentiators. The mindset piece, I've always said to myself, as long as I'm prospecting, I don't care what the outcome is. I don't have expectations, okay? So if I had $20 million and I get on the phone with a decision maker, And he's talking down at me. He won't let me get a word in. He basically screams me off the phone. I don't care. I have $20 million. Whether I do or don't, that's my mindset, right? 
Because if I have a $20 million mindset, one call isn't going to break my spirit. I'm on to the next one, right? So I think those two key things is incredibly valuable. So the mindset is very important, of course. So let's kind of move over to a little bit more of the breakdown of what we, what you'll call the perfect cold call, right? Structurally, what do you have to have or have to look at for you to be able to say, this is a more perfect cold call than what I was probably doing before? I think the, the number one thing that you have to do is cut the fluff. Um, I get cold calls all day long and I still make cold calls to this day. I will tell you that I don't call people to ask them how they're doing just doesn't happen okay um or i certainly don't call anybody and say uh, is this a bad time because typically it's always a bad time to call somebody who you don't know to solicit them for a product or service so my approach has always been um you know be as blunt as i can without offending somebody right and a lot of times in my introduction i will say something as blunt as christian i'm going to be honest with you this is a sales call. Feel free to hang up on me if you want, right? I gave you the out. If you continue talking to me, now I, I have to know subconsciously that there's some interest, okay? So I hit them that hard up front. And I think that a lot of my marketplace, my demographic appreciates that because they don't have the time uh, to spend there and talk to a complete stranger and determine, is this a sales call? And do they want to be a part of it? Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. I think that's really important to be able to distinguish the idea that one, acknowledging that you're an interruption to their day, and I think anybody who believes that you're not an interruption, I think you've already probably started in some way, no matter how much value you give somebody, no matter how important um, you feel you are, the things that you have to say are, it's still very coming from you, right? You're thinking from your perspective that I have something important. And no matter how you look at it, you have to strip it down to a simplest form, which is the moment I made that call to you, I've interrupted whatever you were doing, whether you're waiting for somebody else's call, you were busy doing something else. And so in that moment, being honest about what it is that you're doing is what you're saying is step one, right? You're just being blunt and honest. You're letting them know that you're interrupting their day. But then at the same time, you're not only doing that, but you're telling them exactly what the purpose of the call is in the simplest of forms, right? And 
there's also, I would say almost there's some humor in the idea of you can just hang up on me. And, and because it's true, I mean, you, you're going to get hung up on all the time, right? You're going to hear Mr. Click all day long. And that reality of just being able to say it, how it is, sometimes you're going to have that person. It's like, oh, great. I got an easy out. And you move on with life, right? You, you, you don't, you accept the reality versus hoping every call is going to be a success to a point where now that failure starts to kick in. Is there anything when it comes to what you say, right? When a company goes in and you're talking about, Hey, here is now I get that moment where I get to say something. How important is it for you to figure out what you say in that moment? How much time do you think you have to be able to say that? You know, I think it's extremely important that you dumb down your product so that a five-year-old could understand what you're selling, what your proposition is, right? I find that a lot of companies that I consult with, they make it too complicated and assume that the general public knows what industry terms they're using, what those mean, right? Um, and so I think it's extremely, um, you know, I would say to you, the, the most important thing is that you be able to deliver the value right up front. So IT is one of the industries that I've told to, and I've done speeches to many a times, many a times. How many times will somebody call somebody and say, hey, we're an MSP, we do IT support, and can be as vague as that and it not make sense to anybody, right? Instead of coming from the other avenue and saying, listen, we protect your computer from hackers that might get access to vulnerable information that you don't want on the World Wide Web. Can we talk? There's a difference there, right? A lot of times people don't make that differentiation and they're too quick to give up on that call, right? Because they haven't perfected dumbing it down. That's the first thing, okay? The second thing is I think that you might have seven to 10 seconds to deliver that message before somebody decides, this just isn't for me, right? If you can't deliver that message in seven to 10 seconds, I think that before you get on the phone, you need to boil it down to something that's going to make sense to somebody who doesn't know who you are. Yeah, I would say that the attention span is really short. You uh, allow someone to triage very quickly. Is this something I want to spend more time to with or not? And then obviously, I think the idea where you say you dumb it down is just get to the so what very quickly and very easily. And if you can't do that, uh, it's definitely going to get people to just not only hang up on you, but you're already making what you do complicated. So that leads me to believe that doing business with you is complicated. And I don't think very many people really want to spend their time and effort in things that are complicated unless there's something about it that has value. With that said, we talk about some differentiations of terms, right? And you said yeah, there's some industry terms and some things that you want to dumb down. But you also have talked about telemarketing, telefunnel. How does that differ from a sales funnel? A telefunnel is, is very simple. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of the KISS methodology was keep it simple. Right. Um, pull a list, whatever list you have available to you. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Um, but pull a list, put your script in front of somebody, test the marketplace. Right. If you make 100 calls and you're not getting um, any type of traction with it, well, you know that maybe the list ain't so good or the time of day you're not 
you know, you're just not hitting it in your marketplace, right? Um, it's funny. I, I always look at marketing as an example. If you sell e-commerce, they have all of this wonderful data that you can hone in on to make sure that you're getting the best bang for buck when you're spending advertising dollars, right? When a cold caller goes to the market, they make 100 calls and give up, right? Where's the shortfall, right? I think that most importantly, above all else, the telefunnel is as simple as it sounds. Make a call, put them in the funnel. Did you connect with them? Is it an opportunity to follow up? Is it on the calendar? Okay. Those are the three things that you need to worry about in any process, no matter if you're beginning or, you know, you're starting at a new company or you've been there for 10 years and you're just getting back on the phone because your book of business is dwindling down. So you had mentioned the list, right? And so let's kind of dive into that. How important is the quality of that list and how does that impact results? Importance of the list quality is high. I will say that um, just like when you're dieting, there's no bad food. There's no bad list. There's just better alternatives, right? Um, because I just this week have made calls to a list where a caller said, hey, listen, I'm not getting anywhere. And in one hour connected with three people, right? So what's the difference, right? I think that a lot of people are quick to blame the list. Um, and that's a sign of a defeated person that needs to, you know, either take a vacation or find another job, right? So short answer is important. Do I place a lot of value on it? Not overly. So when we talk about that list and say it is a poor list or it's not performing well, can you make a list that's bad, productive, or can make it better when you're calling on it? Or is it just like you mentioned for that person, let's forget the mindset that they're defeated. Can you do anything about improving that though? One of the things that I always try to do is gather as much data as I can in a reasonable amount of time to the list before I dial to it. So my personal process has always been, okay, I'm going to call Christian. Uh, Christian works at ABC company. Fantastic. Is he still at ABC company when I check his LinkedIn? Okay. Am I going over to some other Facebook, uh, social media, Twitter, whatever? Does it say anything about him there? Okay. If I can ascertain that, hey, Christian's there and there might be a different phone number to reach him at, I'll certainly try every avenue I can before I exhaust the list and move on. Right. So in terms of making it better, I think that we've got to move away from the mindset of, hey, somebody just gave me this list and I got to call it, right? It's our responsibility to do our due diligence on the list to make sure that, you know, Christian is still the president of ABC Co. and we can reach him at this phone number, even if it's not on Tuesday, maybe on Wednesday. Okay. So when we talk about the contact center, right, which is the majority of our audience, we talk about the sales that happens within the center. It's leveraging the agents and representatives to make those sales and their sales process, right, is different than that of a business to business salesperson who maybe is trying to generate business for the contact center, right, where they're bringing in business so that the contact center can do work on their behalf. And so there may be a, 
a dynamic here when we talk about the list, right? There's no control really that the agents or reps have when they're working in the center. Usually, um, comparably, if it's a high volume place or more fed list versus in other scenarios where you maybe have more control of doing some research and diving in, like you were saying, deeper. For the contact center side of it, what would you say is some of the most important things they can do to generate better outcomes when maybe it's not that great of a list or is there really not much you can do and you just have to change the list? Yeah, I mean, you know, after a while, you kind of have to abandon ship, right? If you're not getting traction and you've done everything uh, within your realm uh, to improve it, sometimes you just have to abandon ship. And I think one of the most important things in a uh, contact center, pardon me, is to realize when that opportunity is there, right? To say like, look, we've given this X amount of opportunities, we've tried this, this, and this, um, we're not getting anywhere, we have to move on, right? Because time is valuable, you're not gonna get back, right? And there's just sometimes you you have to unfortunately um, abort mission, so. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about here is training, right? And the importance of training. From your perspective, how best do people integrate trading into their not only outbound strategy and their process, but being able to onboard people through the life of them being an employee. Got some insights there? I would say that it's not just training. A lot of companies make the mistake of uh, doing initial training. Um, mm -hmm. In my personal experience, you have to invest in reinforcement training and reinforcement training that is ongoing. Okay. Um, because uh, I've hired enough people to tell you conclusively now that the, the biggest challenge that you're going to experience is if you hire somebody who has a sales background and you bring them into your organization and you give them the organization's process, under pressure, that person is going to revert to what they used to do prior to them working with you. Okay? So... You know, again, referring to Sandler, you can't teach a kid how to ride a bike at a seminar, okay? Um, just because they've seen it once or twice or they did a two-week, uh, you know, training period, it, it, it's not good enough. People need reinforcement training. They need to see it all the time, um, multiple times a day. So at my company, what we used to do is every Thursday with every sales executive, we used to sit down, walk through the process, and match that up against what they were doing in the field and see where the breakdowns were. And a lot of times, after a while, they would go, oh, I did this instead of doing this, or I missed this step. I need to go back and practice this. So after a while, it becomes self-reflection, and then they just turn it into a habit. You know, what's interesting about the learning aspect of it is you find people that learn because they just want to learn, right? They want to continue to evolve, continue to improve and make positive change. Uh, there's also people that are just naturally good at talking, right? They're just really charismatic or really capable of communicating, very personable, have a lot of soft skills. And then there's also, you know, people that may be good at what they do, but there's that moment in time where there's a, a part of them that isn't willing or capable of asking for help or feeling weak, right? There's this a pride that comes into being a top salesperson or a top performer. How does a person from your perspective, how do you break the barrier that maybe certain sales leaders or certain performers get to a point where they're maybe not performing or they hit a ceiling? How do you get them to accept, look for, or embrace learning 
hiring a company like yours or finding some resources to continuously improve versus being the person that has all the answers and that that it's a sign of weakness if they have to go searching for um, some sort of consultant or new information. Got any insights on how to address that in a company? I think the biggest thing is leadership needs to understand that um, no decision is made in a vacuum. Okay. And what I mean specifically by saying that is this. Typically, when they're going to make a decision, whether in their personal life or a business-oriented decision, they've weighted against something, right? An article they read on the internet, talking to their spouse, talking to their um, mentors, whatever, right? So everybody gets help to some degree. Just to, uh, you know, refresh everybody's memory, earlier I said my analogy was if you have a referral go up to a business owner, it's unlikely that he turns it down, right? Business owners need help. Now, whether they're prepared to accept that help is a completely different story, right? And so my process has always been like, look, here's my offer. I've been able to help sales leaders, uh, sales teams right the ship when it's taking on water. Now, if you don't feel that your ship is taking on water, despite your sales numbers going down progressively month after month, I can't help you because the first step to recognizing that you need help is recognizing that you need help, right? And a problem that doesn't exist in your mind isn't one that I can fix, right? I can't create problems. I can only fix them, right? Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to being able to recognize that that part, right? Is there a cultural thing you think companies can do to continuously embrace that as a culture versus when the ship sees the iceberg, then you got to turn, hopefully you can turn fast enough. Is there things that companies can do before they get to that point where you're like, oh, numbers are going down every month. So now I have to care about investing into my learning or into my strategies or into my business. Anything that you can think of that you've shared with people that helps them already have that as a cultural change in their business before it gets to that point where it's bad. You know, one of the things that I have successfully implemented in my own company and others is anonymous surveys. Okay. And for listeners out there, you can do a Google anonymous survey or survey monkey, I believe um, will give you that option as well. And the reason why you'd want to do that is a lot of CEOs of um, SMBs, small, medium-sized businesses, will try to take a one-to-one approach with, uh, you know, their employees and their sales reps. The the thing that they miss, though, is that the sales rep, because the survey is anonymous, will say things in the survey that they won't say to a leader, right? Because they fear that, you know, their job is at stake or they have a car payment and if they get fired, they can't make the car payment or their mortgage payment anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to keep transparency and open door policy, I had implemented those when I felt like there was just something that a sales rep didn't feel comfortable with, uh, you know, discussing to leadership or me or whoever else, maybe it's just their colleagues, right? And they can vent it in um, a survey. Now, be forewarned, I didn't implement everything in a survey because you had one-offs that were just impossible to meet, but there was some good insights to see how people thought, and we extracted some better processes out of that. Yeah, one thing when it comes to feedback is don't implement a process 
It'll allow people to give you feedback if you have no intention of doing anything with it. There's nothing worse than giving people a platform to say something. And then it feels like it's a complete waste. Um, you can see all the time that people will take feedback into something, but then nothing happens. And then people get very upset and frustrated with that. Any insights into how do you then take on a bunch of feedback that some of it, like you mentioned, you can't do or won't do. How do you find some wins there? So people don't just take this as a one-off and it's not worth their time to ever give you this honest, transparent feedback. Well, I think that you have to have a theory of what's wrong to begin with, right? And you're using the feedback just as you would, you know, any data point to try to figure out what a solution might be, right? Um, for instance, we did one in a company not too long ago and we realized that for whatever reason, one of their sales reps had a hard time calling construction companies. He just felt intimidated by it, right? It turned out that he worked construction in a previous life and he always got yelled at for being a slow laborer and they was taught costing them too much money. So he had some trauma or PTSD around that, right? He switched verticals and all of a sudden becomes a top performer, right? Now, is that going to happen in every scenario? Certainly not, right? But you have to look at what the person is saying and ultimately what they're not saying in the survey, right? Because you can extract a little piece of data, whether it's your industry, your vertical, uh, what they feel comfortable with, not comfortable with, and just make that tweak and you can do it on an individual basis. It doesn't have to be a company-wide thing all the time. I know certainly for us, when we started AnswerPhone, it was, hey, listen, um, truck and ladder guys are great to answer the phone for. However, there's office managers that struggle with incoming calls and getting receipts and inventory all straight. And we can do just as much business with them um, and close them for, you know, two thirds of the sales cycle that it would take to close a truck and ladder guy and chase him down because he's always on site. Right. Mm -hmm. And that came from an anonymous survey. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% .9 uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Yeah, well, I think there's a balance between being open to the information you're going to get and then also not only acting on it, but being able to go back and say, okay, of the things that we're capable and willing to do, how quick can you put them in play? And you have to have something behind that to be able to get you that next step and say, okay, now that we move from this thing to that thing, now we can continue and show that there's progress here. Because if you don't, then as I mentioned earlier, you're going to have people that won't be engaged anymore. But let's kind of talk about the phone sales aspect of it and its future. I know 
a lot of people have talked for some time that being able to sell over the phone is dead or it's dying or it's about to die in, in sometime soon because of all the other channels, other other mediums, especially inbound. You've obviously been an advocate for cold calling and calling. Where do you see the future of being able to communicate outbound over the phone? I think that, um, first of all, I think the future for cold calling is as bright as it's always been. I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, you know, one of the things that I would say, though, is they are now implementing things to make it more challenging. And one of those things is Google has this wonderful system that if, uh, you know, your phone number that you've dialed from however many times, um, you know, in a certain period and time of day, it can detect if it's making spam calls, right? And mm -hmm. when you make a call to somebody, now it's saying potential spam warming across the caller ID. So they are certainly making it more difficult. And I think it's just more reason why you need to be a, more relevant to whoever you're selling to, and B, more direct with your approach, right? If you do those things and you can master those things, um, we've had the same phone numbers for years now and never had an issue. Um, it's it's always going to be there. You're never going to get rid of it. Um, and, and personally, I think uh, platforms like LinkedIn, email, social media are fantastic, but they're ancillary meaning that you do them on top of prospecting on the phone. You don't do them as opposed to prospecting on the phone because they're passive. You can't control it. Yeah, I think one of the things that you just hit the nail on the head for a lot of people that we work with, a lot of our audiences, if you do make an outbound communication, whether it's true outbound or it's sales collections, fundraising, political dialing, whatever it may be, or it's just a cue callback or a scheduled callback or uh, you know, the call disconnected and I got to call you back, whatever it may be, whether it's high volume or low volume, you want to have the highest opportunity to be able to have that important conversation, right? Without it being prejudged in a negative way, right? And one of the ways it can become negative quickly, either by not answering or already being suspicious is for it to have a negative label, right? For it to say scam or fraud or whatever that may be. Have you had any experience being able to educate people from a mindset perspective and approach perspective of what do you do when you connect and that person says your call came up as scam or fraud or whatever it is? How have you seen that change the dynamic of the conversation and how do you address that in a way that allows that call to still be successful? I think the number one thing you have to do is you have to address it um, dead on. If somebody said, hey, your number showed up as potential spam or scam warning, I would say, that's interesting. Why did you answer? <laughs> right. I want to know what is making that person tick, right? Because I can certainly tell you if something came up as a potential spam warning for me, I would think twice about answering the phone, right? My style is to inject humor into the call, but address it head on and say, look, I'm not spamming people, but potentially because I made so many calls today, they just gave me the spam warning and I'm stuck with it now, right? Typically, that's enough to get uh, by that. And we have experienced that. And that's typically how we do it. Um, for some other people, you know, the solution is just to get a new phone number and start over. But I want to warn everybody out there that you can only do that for so long before your carrier drops you as a customer because you're just ruining their phone numbers, right? You have to come up with a better approach. And my approach has always been Listen, this is a sales call. Uh, it is not spam. 
I think it can be relevant and maybe potentially help you. Can we get 30 seconds to talk about it? It's that simple. Yeah, I think there's a nice balance there that people have to realize that there's times where you're going to have to replace a number for one reason or another. There's going to be a strategy on what you can do with your number inventory and how you leverage your numbers. There's obviously uh, some amount of input that goes into the algorithms of why your numbers are labeled a certain way. And some of that is complaints. So I think that honesty, that humor, that ability that you give someone the opportunity to just hang up on you. And it's not just one of those uh, calls that you're abusive or you're you know being disingenuous or whatever it may be that maybe you have less complaints. And if maybe you have less complaints, even if it's a small percentage, it may help the reputation of your numbers. Now, of course, uh, that's for another topic. We obviously dive deep into that quite often around best strategies around how do you live in the world of the outbound dialing from a number management perspective. But from your perspective, once you get someone on the phone, that injection of humor, honesty, short, sweet, straight to the point, I think it's important. But let's look at the pandemic for a minute, right? It's obviously made a lot of changes for a lot of people. It's been opportunities for some, and it's obviously been devastating for others. From your perspective, from the buyer's side, who you're trying to get a hold of, what shifts, if any, have you seen that's happened on their behavior or interactions with them as a byproduct of the pandemic? I think that people are more cautious to spend money right now. Um, mm -hmm. Early when we were just coming out of the pandemic, people were so happy just to be able to get a phone call and get off Zoom, for instance. Um, now you're seeing their, their buying patterns change a little bit because it's, well, there's a little bit of uncertainty in the market. Um, we're not sure what lies ahead for us. Um, you know, they're just a little bit more apprehensive. And especially I find the demographic that's closer to retirement, they're just a little bit, you know, yeah, call me in, you know, July of next year for no reason at all. And that's their polite way of saying, hey, listen, I'm a little bit nervous about current market standings and maybe I'll hold off on this despite you being probably able to help me, right? Um, is there any way to get around it? I don't think so. I think you're always going to have a bit of that. I think um, revitalizing your approach and saying, okay, well, listen, pandemic has probably impacted your business some. What is your ability to move forward on a product like mine? I think injecting that into your script can help in certain instances as well. Yeah, I think being able to go in there and understand their reality in some way. And then you mentioned demographics. There are some things that maybe you can inject knowing who you're calling. And when you start that conversation, when you get that 30 seconds or you get some sort of input into uh, learning a little bit more about them in those little micro moments uh, is important. At the same time, I think I think you gave a comment that a lot of people will get, which is not now, right? And right in sales, a maybe or not now um, and left alone like that is obviously very challenging for time, right? A no gets you to the next no that gets you eventually to a yes, right? Whatever that may be, right? To a sale, to a conversation, to an appointment, to fundraising, whatever it may be. Um, but that may be that later, right, is always a challenge. And so any insight into what one could do when it comes to that maybe or call me in six months or call me in a week that someone could sit back and go, okay, how do I best leverage my time, your time to really figure out, is this really a later or is this just another way for you to tell me no? You know, I love that you said that because I would ask that question directly to my prospect. 
Right. And if I get the six months to a year objection, my comment has always been, perfect, Christian, I'd love to call you back in six months. Can you help me understand what in your environment is going to change in six months to warrant a phone call? And put it back in their, in their court, right? Because we have no idea what is going inside of their world, right? And let them explain to you, okay, in six months' time, we'll be doing our fiscal year-end, we'll be making new budgets, um, and then I'll have an approximate idea of what kind of allocation I can put towards us, right? If they can't give you any type of concrete answer, my suggestion to you would be go back to that prospect and say, Mr. Prospect, oftentimes, um, you know, I get told that I should call you back in six months only to never get you back on the phone again. And it was just a nice way of telling me, no, is that what's going on here? And again, if you put it back in their court, nine times out of 10, if you do it in a, in a decent way where you're not challenging them, but, you know, asking them in a nice, you know, business relevant way, you'll get a truthful answer, right? And they'll come back and say, you know what? Yeah, this product's not for me. Or maybe they'll give you a solid answer that you can deal with, right? Yeah, that's great because what a lot of us do is we take the first no or the first sign of maybe as like a success. It's like, oh, great, great. You know, or you didn't tell me to, you know, go fly off a bridge or, you know, you just hung up on me. There's this chance. And I think what all of us do when we get stuck in that moment of not being hung up on that, that there's like something there potentially is that we don't go deep enough. We don't take that extra layer off the onion and just say, really, what is driving this? What is going on? Are, are there opportunities here? And you really don't know that on the surface, because just like when people walk by you in the street and say, hey, how are you doing? I didn't ask you how are you doing because I actually care. And I really want to stop and have an hour conversation about how your day is. And I'm not trying to be rude when I say that, but that's just like a common thing that I run into a lot. Say, hey, how's it going? It's like, oh, great. And, and it's really not really for me to go in depth. And because we're so transactional like that, I think we take that so literal in our communication that many times we miss the cues. We miss opportunities to go, wait a minute, is there actually something here? So I'm, I'm glad you kind of gave some of that insight that is really important for us to sit back and say, is this really the answer or is it just a response because it's a protection of my time? It's a protection of my ability to feel like this, um, you know, is not something I feel comfortable saying no to and maybe a way that's like hanging up on you or telling you to, to leave me alone. Now, exactly. we did talk earlier a little bit about scams and, you know, the labeling, but, you know, there's always been scams where people are trying to defraud people, they're trying to take something of value, they're trying to do some harm via the phone. Um, what is it that you're seeing, if anything, now? Is it worse, better, the same? How is it impacting your ability to communicate with people? Because most people just maybe let it go to the voicemail or they have some device that you know filters it. Anything that you think people can do to help them get the phone to be answered Versus when you get on the phone, you said some great stuff, but how do you get them to pick up the phone in the first place? You know, I think that local presence has a lot to do with it. Um, I've seen too many companies take, uh, you know, this nation approach, which is, hey, we're headquartered in New York. We're going to take our New York area code and call into Texas. Um, and that, to me, has always been a red flag. If I see somebody immediately calling from uh, an area code that I don't recognize, 
I'm not going to answer it, right? Local presence has a lot to do with it. Time of day also has a lot to do with it. I found that I can connect with a decision maker if their business hours are 9 to 5. I'll call them an 8 because I know that decision maker is typically there before everybody else. Okay. Even before the receptionist and the janitor have finished cleaning for the for the day. And they're sitting there at their desk and all of a sudden a phone call comes in and I can have an honest conversation with somebody. Right. So those two things I found have helped me when I just aren't getting people on the phone. So let's kind of shift a little bit to some personal stuff, right? Before we finish off today's slash. Sure. Um, what is the things, if any, that you've benefited or learned from from work that you've been able to take into your personal life? You know, I, I, I love that question. Sales is an everyday thing. It's not just a profession, okay? Um, when you're sitting down for dinner and, you know, you had to ask your wife what is for dinner and you didn't really feel like what's being cooked, you had to sell her on the idea to go the other way um, or to get your kids to go into the bath or to, um, you know, get the mailman to deliver the mail properly and not just leave it on your front step, right? Selling is an everyday skill. Um, and I carry it into my life um, wholeheartedly. I just love the profession. Um, and I think that ultimately, to answer the other part of your question, it has made me a better communicator because I can understand where somebody's coming from, why they may or may not be emotional about something they've said, and how to deal with that. So in all honesty, it's made me a better communicator all around. You know, it's really great that you said some of that stuff. And what's interesting here is the idea that there's these frictions that we create. And everyone thinks of friction as a negative thing, but friction really drives change, right? It really makes people make decisions. And it's interesting in the sales world, when we talk about that, it's not an on and off switch. We just do it and then we go home and we live our lives. There's these frictions that happen all the time. And one of the great ones we had on our last podcast, uh, which was really interesting, was the idea that, um, you know, you can be in an airplane, you can be on your phone and the plane wants to take off. Uh, you can have someone come up to you and say, hey, get off the phone. We need to leave. But alternatively, what this person did instead of coming to uh, my guest and saying, hey, turn off your phone. We need to leave. They just went over the intercom. And, you know, this airline is, you know, known for being funny. Just said, hey, we're ready to go. Just so you know, we're going to go once this person gets off the phone. <laughs> you know, the energy in the room just changes. And this person's like, oh, my gosh, like everyone is looking at me. And I realize, like, OK, I get it. I got to get off this phone now. And that friction, even though there was some humor there, it caused change. It made them make a decision to do something that you wanted them to do. But you did it in a way that allowed you to not have to maybe potentially have confrontation with that person or to have an argument or have to go back and forth. So I think it's really important what you said that what you do, that communication and how you do it isn't so much that it's focused on sales as a role. It's just how you get paid. But ultimately, it's how you're able to communicate with people and communicate value. So let's kind of finish off one thing with what do you do in your spare time? I mean, outside of selling and helping people do better at selling and spending time with, I think it said your family, what do you do in your spare time? You know what? I am a big car guy. Um, unfortunately, okay. yeah. I uh, Unfortunately, now I'll you know, caveat emptor. Um, the COVID pandemic has sort of made you know, cars that I, I like to trade or call myself a mini dealer or whatever. I just, I love cars. I've had over a hundred of them. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Um, my new obsession is Porsches. I, I think that, 
you know, for a company to take a design that has been around since 1960 and improve it, the engineering can only get better. Um, and if you have the opportunity to experience one of, uh, you know, their racing sport cars, I think it'll change your mind about every other brand. Um, so I spend a lot of time now just researching the market, seeing when, you know, an opportunity for a Porsche might come up and, you know, doing my own little customizations to it, whether it's making it shiny, changing the wheels or the exhaust system and, and having a fun time at the racetrack is really what I like to do. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll definitely say the, the vehicle industry was definitely impacted <laughs> by the oh, pandemic. Yeah. And it still is, but considering where you're focused on, you know, there's definitely something you create a passion for and you invest time and effort and you get something out of it. So it's been a great time. I really appreciate you coming on. There's going to be people that want to get a hold of you. They want to get a hold of you for personal reasons, just to connect. There's going to be people that maybe have some need in your business. How do they contact you? Yeah, I'm always open. My door is always uh, available. Walk through anytime. JeremyChenSales.com. Visit me there. Use the contact button. Uh, send us a note with whatever your inquiry is. Um, and that goes for sales reps too that might be just listening to the podcast because I can put myself in their shoes just as well as I can put myself in leadership shoes. Um, whichever side of the fence you find yourself on, feel free to reach out. Um, and if I can't help you, I'll be honest with you up front and let you know. Well, that's definitely one thing we learned today, right? You're going to keep it short and sweet, and you're also going to make sure you're honest and upfront. So look, that really concludes today's show. Everybody, Follow Jeremy, connect with them, sync up with him on LinkedIn, whatever it may be that you want to be able to learn more about what he can do for you personally or for your business. So if you're in the sales world, if you're even just in the business of communicating with people and you need to improve how you do so, uh, it's going to be important to connect with them. With that said, obviously, we're getting to the end of our season. So if anyone has any opinions, feedback, suggestions, send it to info at noblebiz.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to everybody next time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montez, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.